On today's bonus episode, Dr. FaceTime, we discuss the future of the digital healthcare world, the benefits and the disadvantages of telemedicine, and where we think the future of healthcare may be. We're your hosts. I'm Ashley, a nurse practitioner. And I'm Michael, a doctor. And you're listening to Critical Sodium, a show where we dive deep into the nitty gritty of health and medicine. So let's get started. So this week, we're going to go into a few of the things that have been changing in the last six months or so in medicine, mostly as a result of COVID. However, some of them might be changes we want to hold on to for long term. Well, if these telemedicine companies work out and they provide easier access to care for patients and increase provider satisfaction, we might as well keep them and put safety barriers around the things that need fixing. A number of changes have been made all over the country and also state by state on how to handle this, including things such as lowering the barriers to telemedicine, making reimbursements for telemedicine match those of in-person visits, and also allowing things such as medicine by phone and other emergency measures for people who are in very specific situations that prevent them from seeking health care the old-fashioned way. And this all allows easier access to health care and hopefully prevents ER or urgent care admissions or visits. Yeah, you know, if, it's, if this is an easily communicable disease, then I definitely don't think people should be having to go into their doctor's appointments if they, if they don't have to, especially if there might have been COVID patients there and if they're high risk, such as elderly or have COPD. But the question is, are people getting as good of health care now? So my experience with telemedicine from before COVID, at least, was a lot was from when I was in practicing, when I was in med school in a rural area. There, there were specific uh, rules in Texas that allow you to have telemedicine visits specifically in these areas, since sometimes it can take an hour or two to drive to appointments, and that's not possible for a lot of people. Question is, is is there a decrease in the quality of care over telemedicine? Well, it is harder to evaluate and assess a patient over the phone or iPad or computer because you can't actually see things. And also there's uh, connection problems that a patient can have. It might be a fuzzy image or you might get disconnected. It's always been obvious to me that certain fields are more likely to be able to adopt telemedicine than others. The obvious one, of course, being psychiatry or mental health services. These seem to lend themselves almost perfectly to telemedicine in that the kinds of people who need to use these services may not be likely to leave their house as much or might have some kind of phobia or psychiatric condition that might lead to them avoiding going to the doctor. So I actually think that telemedicine is perfect for psychiatric clinics because it does relieve that anxiety about being around people or that phobia or that fear of are other people watching me? What do they think about me? It kind of just reinforces that privacy. However, when when it comes to thinking about the other medical fields, I find a little more problems like could possibly lie in the future if we overexpand telemedicine. Things such as internal medicine which is what I am, or or things such as surgical services or any other kind of hands-on specialty. You know, if you overexpand telemedicine in these kinds of specialties, then you might might be finding an incentive to doctors to try to get out of doing their physical exams on people in order to keep their practice model consistent and provide a service to people that, you know, they may want but may not be best for them. We'll have a bunch of data after these COVID-19 outcomes, and then we can just re-evaluate whether the benefits of telemedicine outweigh the disadvantages. One thing that I'm wondering is, as people become used to telemedicine and start to use it more, will it become almost one of those topics in which people are willing to accept a slightly lower quality of healthcare 
telemedicine visits are cheaper compared to an in-person visit. So they range from about $30 to $80 compared to your typical office visit of around $120 to 150 And as of the COVID-19 up, outbreak, we've instituted emergency changes both in the state and nationally, allowing Medicare to reimburse at full regular offices, office visit rates for telemedicine visits. They've also allowed diagnosis by phone visits as an emergency measure. I, I think this is something that definitely should not continue after COVID ends. But they did waive the HIPAA laws, allowing doctors to use telephones or chat with their patients over FaceTime. Which I think is a great idea. To be honest with you, I think that uh, the HIPAA law is overbroad and prevents normal medical conversations from happening that should happen. And I really would like to see a long-term weakening of the HIPAA laws, but that's another subject. As for telemedicine, there's specific risks involved with people actually going to the doctor's office, but these risks should not be permanent. They should go away, in which case the risks and benefits ratio will change. And the benefits of telemedicine, things such as ease of access and scheduling benefits, might not outweigh the uh, bad effects such as, you know, denormalizing the physical exam as a necessary part of a medical encounter. Misdiagnosis. Yeah, and just kind of overall loosening of what I consider to be important standards that we need to keep as healthcare providers. So a really bad disadvantage, potentially, of telemedicine is Mm -hmm. misdiagnosis. Say you accidentally send them to the ER or the urgent care and they did not need to go. So that actually is more expensive for the patient than rather just going to a regular doctor visit, getting diagnosed properly the first time, and then going home with an antibiotic and that's all they needed. Or prescribing them with an antibiotic that they didn't even need. Yeah, and what if they have a, what if they have a, a complaint in which you could probably diagnose it just fine, but you're missing that one little part of an exam you might need, such as checking for pedal edema, abdominal tenderness or something like that, you know, do they need to come in for a second visit or should they just, you know, you just say it's probably going to be okay. So how does that work? If the patient, their main complaint is abdominal pain, do you tell them to press on their belly? So I don't, I don't do telemedicine personally. I'm just going to disclose that. But if I was a provider and they had abdominal pain, I would, you know, the first thing I'd be thinking is I can't do this over the phone. You know, this is something where you got to see them. I guess you could maybe ask them to press on their own belly. But the problem with that is if it does truly hurt, they're not really going to press. Their abdomen is going to be rigid and they're probably going to be guarded. Or they might minimize it. Maybe they just want a work excuse or something. But, uh, you know, that's just that's one concern. I mean, you know, it has to be weighed against the benefits. And and like I said earlier, I think for specific fields such as mental health, this is much less of a thing that you're going to have to worry about. But there are other people trying new things. There's this direct orthopedic care site that we were talking about. That's kind of a new thing where um, I believe you can like get imaging done and then send it to them and they'll have an orthopedic surgeon review that in a telemedicine visit and then potentially let you know if you think they think you need surgery. So that's probably cheaper than actually going to a clinic visit with them. Yeah, I mean, I haven't looked into the, the specific specifics of how this works, but I think that's how it works. And if that's how it works, then, you know, I mean, the exam for orthopedic surgeons is important, but also the MRI is probably 10 times as important. Oh, yes. And also, direct orthopedic care can actually do emergency surgeries right there in their clinic. At least that's what they, their website says. Yeah, I think they have like a freestanding ER type thing. I don't know. I haven't been there. Um, I haven't so that's, either, you know, so. that's, that's one novel thing. So maybe for orthopedic surgeons, there is some kind of telemedicine future. Um, you know, and the other thing that I could think of the telemedicine might help with is for stable patients who need refills of things, you know, maybe let them go six months or a year where they just do telemedicine refill visits. 
But I think eventually these people all should be reassessed in person. It probably falls under each physician's discretion. Yeah. I mean, I know back in residency, we used to see people at least once a year once they were stable. The other thing that I was wondering about is I am a hospitalist and I have heard people talk about doing hospital telemedicine visits, you know, and a lot of ICUs around the country, especially in rural areas where they cannot afford or don't have access to an ICU physician, they'll bring a monitor in and have a ICU doctor do a telemedicine visit like that. I've worked at one of those hospitals when I was an ICU nurse. How'd it work? They actually had TVs installed in each room, so no one actually brought in an iPad separately, and all you did was press a button and the ICU doctor showed up. See, that's the kind of thing that I think only makes sense in very specific scenarios, such as rural hospitals where they don't have access to these kind of physicians or other things like that. Although, you know, I would honestly go along the path of saying having an NP being letting an NP work there solo without oversight is probably better than having a telemedicine ICU doctor, in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, that's probably true. I would think having an actual provider there in person would be better for the patient. Yeah, and for the staff. I guess one thing about ICU patients is that once they have a bunch of imaging and all that other stuff, you know, and they're on ventilators and, you know, I guess the, the mechanical, like the imaging and the vented settings and all that becomes probably a little more important than the physical exam, which is unlikely to change as much as the other labs and imaging, you know. When I did work there, though, I was very happy because that, that meant I didn't have to call any doctor and wake him up. <laughs> that is a benefit for the nurse, I guess. So I don't know. What are your final thoughts on this? Should we, where, where should we have telemedicine, Ashley? I think as a provider, I personally would be hesitant to do telemedicine. I think it is a great idea overall, but because of the possibility of misdiagnosing someone and not telling them they didn't need to go to the ER, they didn't need to go to the urgent care when they actually did, or sending them when they didn't need to go. Yeah, and this brings into question broader parts of the healthcare system. I, like I said earlier, I think HIPAA is overbroad. It makes me feel like I'm a CIA agent when I call people with lab results. You know, I have to be like, do you happen to know anybody who might be related to this? Pa-? You know what I mean? It's like you don't want to do stuff like that when you call people. And I, I think if we could weaken that a little bit because it is overdoing the original purpose that it had, then that might be one barrier that might make people feel more comfortable with doing things like telemedicine. The other thing might be, you know, tort reform might be a big part of this too. Because in Texas, we're actually pretty lucky to have pretty good tort reform in that you cannot be sued for things beyond a reasonable level. And uh, I think that has led to a very not litigious culture in medicine here. I know in a lot of other states where they do not have tort reform and there is no cap on malpractice damages, there's going to be a lot of doctors who are very hesitant to do telemedicine as it might present a un untenable risk for their practice to have all these uh, you know, possibilities of misdiagnosing things. On the patient side of things, I can see the appeal to having the increased convenience of using telemedicine in place of an in-person office visit. Yeah, but if you're a doctor, then you, you, you know when one of your family members sends you a picture of something and says, what is this? My first thought is, I have no idea. You need to go to a doctor. And that's going to be every patient if telemedicine becomes universal. That's always the safest response. Yeah, I mean, some things you just cannot diagnose with vague descriptions over the phone. People don't, people have various levels of being able to describe things well. And, you know, so that might be a big limitation. And before we finish, I was just going to go over a few of the things that I've seen that may be part of the future of healthcare that seemed interesting. Um, One thing I've been looking at is an app called Livongo. I thought that was pretty cool. It seems like it's kind of like a phone app that helps you keep track of diabetes on your own. 
so you don't have to be calling the doctor every time your sugar is out of range a little bit. It uh, tells you how much insulin to give, and you can plug different kinds of sliding scales into it. And I think they're expanding it to things such as blood pressure and heart failure patients to help manage with uh, to help chronically manage with these diseases. I think that's a great idea for diabetics. Yeah, and I guess it would depend on the primary care doctor to decide if that would help them, or if they even feel comfortable with that. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you don't want people doing something wrong at home for a long time just because the app tells them to. Okay, I think that's all we got for today. So all you cool cats and kittens, just be be safe out there. But before we leave, we'd like to say just one last thing. We are both medical providers, but we're not your medical providers. So the opinions provided are only intended for entertainment and educational purposes and do not represent the opinions of any associated employers, nor are they intended to be substituted for medical care or advice. Always listen to your own physician or medical professional for advice regarding your personal health. And with that said, thanks for joining us, everyone. And if you enjoyed the show, leave us a review and don't forget to subscribe. Tune in next time on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Bye.